0: And Welcome to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am Benjamin Mose, the Director of Manufacturing Technology. I'm here with...
1: Stephen LaMarca, Manufacturing
0: Technology Analyst. Hi, Steve. Welcome to a special IMTS Spark edition of the podcast. Excited to talk about... Uh, we have some really interesting uh, articles we found today. But before we get into that, are you caught up on the NVIDIA card debacle and next-gen consoles...
1: I would like to think I am, but with computers <laughs> there's always something I don't know. There's always something. Um, but yeah, a little bit. Like there's a, it's I I know that with the release of like the Nvidia RTX 3080, yep. uh it sold out in a couple of seconds and I think that was because they only made like 8 of them.
0: <laughs> there's two I think um, there's two things there. One <laughs> they only made 8 <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> but apparently there's a bunch of bots running around too buying them up randomly too.
1: Yeah, the scalpers, scalpers, and, yeah. and 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 you know what's funny is a lot of people, a lot of the people who wanted to buy these graphics cards. It's really funny that you mentioned that. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, yes, people programmed bots to buy the initial release of the 3080 right away. Right. And then people who actually were willing to throw down like 1500, 1200, 1500 dollars for this latest gen um rtx graphics card um got upset by this but at the same time the people who are willing to throw down 1200 dollars for the latest nvidia graphics card are also the people who probably know a thing or two about computers and probably know how to write their own bots so they did write their own bots and i know this one guy wrote a bot to go onto eBay where these scalper bots yep. were now selling the graphics cards for wildly inflated prices, right. like $3,000. And these people who wanted to buy these initial uh, graphics cards wrote bots to go on to eBay and put on fake bids to right. drive up the price to like $30,000 <laughs> for these graphics cards to ensure that the scalpers do not make the sale on these graphics cards at all until the next batch of graphics cards are out. And then they're stuck with, you know, a handful of graphics cards that, you know, you can only use four of them yeah. max. If you're one of those SLI nerds,
0: it, it's absolutely amazing that now we are living in the future. where bots fighting bots. Now <laughs> there's yeah, it's crazy. It, it was mind blowing that one that the, my YouTube feed is flooded with this content and two, mm-hmm. I don't care anything about this at all because in a month it'll solve itself like most supply chain problems related to yeah. first gen um, consumer grade equipment. Just chill out; it'll be fine. You don't have to be yeah. the first wave.
1: And then how about how about how about the fact that uh, you know the thirty eighty was just released the N- the Nvidia RTX thirty eighty was just released. It's already outdated. <laughs> already, because AMD is coming yeah. out. <laughs> It's already outdated. It's I, it's
0: it's a confluence of uh, issues because also we've got next gen consoles coming out too. We got PlayStation Five, and the Xbox yeah. uh, Series X uh, coming out, which I'm you know I'm a fan of both. I've been keeping an eye on both right. because uh, I'm hitting a crossroads next year where I want to build a computer. Uh, uh, Intel is on their 11th gen processor, and my current computer is on the fourth gen. It's time for me to upgrade. Intel's on the 11th? They just released their 11th gen, which the 10th and 11th, I feel a little iffy because...
1: I bet you they just released... I feel like they just released the 10th. They
0: just released the 10th.
1: And they also know... Well, a lot of the reviews that I've watched on YouTube said, hey, the 10th gen sucks. It's only (laughs) mildly better performing than the 9th gen. Oh, but it has all of these thermal issues. Right. Because they tried to make the processor it, it needs to be better than the ninth so yeah. they they t- they overclocked it a little bit to right. make it actually perform better than the ninth but to make it compete with um amd's uh ryzen and thread ripper processors they w- which are incredibly competitively priced right. by the way they had to find a way to make the intel processors cheaper so they cut costs on a lot of like thermal components like the um the heat spreader right. and the thermal compound uh, connect that 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 uh, That's conducts the the t- the, yeah. the thermals from the die to the heat spreader right. is apparently trash. <laughs> so like one of the first things you want to do if you have like one of these tenth gen CPUs is delit it and apply new thermal compound to it and then relit it. Um, Do you know how
0: hardcore? You have to be to delid a processor.
1: You've got to be <laughs> that's the, outrageous. The biggest nerd, but like, yeah. Apparently, I bet you. I didn't know that they just released a, an 11th yeah, gen, yeah. but I bet you they did it because the 10th gen absolutely sucks and it's horrendous.
0: I'm super excited to build a computer next year in February when the market will be flooded with everything I need and everything will mm-hmm. be fine. <laughs> also, oh yeah. Also, I'm fascinated. Uh, so, I um, next year I'll have some more free time and I want to get back into playing games on the console. And PlayStation 5 will be out, and the Xbox Series X will be out. And there's two things that I found fascinating. One, the last uh, console I had was a PlayStation 3, and I just got rid of it because it went up in flames um, this past year. And actually, the brunt of the usage was as a Blu-ray player. I'm still a big fan of purchasing physical Blu-rays. And uh, that's the main reason I bought it when the PlayStation 3 came out, because it was a great... Uh, blu-ray player it decoded faster than most standalone blu-ray players and i could game on it so for the cost and benefit of it it was great and Man, get out of here
1: with streaming yeah i mean it's like having a solid blu-ray
0: it's so much better i yeah. i can't tell you how much i enjoy a blu-ray still so right now i'm conflicted of which is going to be the better uh, say media player uh xbox or the playstation and but then that my heart is torn because gran teresa was such a a dear game to me that yeah. I'm I'm on the fence about just sticking with the console just to buy Grand Turismo.
1: That's the only reason I'd buy. It. I feel like, you know, knowing as much as I've learned this summer about computers and PCBs and, and and CPUs and GPUs, like I would be the most informed buyer that I personally could be for this latest gen right. of uh, game consoles. And you know, I I I would only buy the PS5 because I only bought the PS4 for Gran Turismo Sport. Right. I would only buy the PS5 for Gran Turismo Seven. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's sad. As informed as I am now, right? This will sadly probably be the first generation of PlayStation that I won't buy. And I've bought every single one.
0: I'm also saddened by the people who are semi, that are ill-informed in the uh, market apparently I saw uh, an article that uh, um, so the Xbox series X pre-orders replaced or uh, opened up but people bought the Xbox X the previous generation because they got the names mixed up so they oh. instead of pre-ordering the new gen oh, they actually man. bought the old gen <laughs>
1: that, that uh, pour some out
0: which you know to be fair on a late Saturday night after uh, you know some hard gaming I probably would do the same but Man, I feel no, bad know, for all those. The,
1: all the more reason not to buy Xbox. <laughs> That's
0: true. Yeah, we'll see. Well, come February, I'll give an update. Yeah. All right, man. Let's get into some articles. I found a really good one on hydrogen planes. Steve, you've done a lot of traveling. Would yes. you get on a plane that is powered by hydrogen? Yes. Why would you? I would. That? I, could, I can. I can. I
1: can say that with with confidence. It's flying because... such a bad
0: experience that you would get on a plane that'll kill you.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, flying, you're already taking so many variables that that you have no control over uh, that, that are taking your life into their own hands. And it's just like, you know, odds are that I'm probably gonna make it out of this. It doesn't matter whether it's kerosene, hydrogen, right. electric. I'm sure there will be electric planes soon enough. So in this, um,
0: in this article from, from uh, Flight Global, they talk about Airbus making a semi-zero emission aircraft in the next 15 years. Yeah. Uh, and the their path to that would be to use hydrogen as the main power source. And uh, I found that really interesting that, you know, one, they they show a a, a couple of renderings of what the potential aircraft would be. And mm-hmm. two are fairly traditional. So you have your standard fuselage with, um, you know, your engine under the wing. Uh, they show a funky thing with the wings where it's drastically swept back towards the tips. I guess that's to help uh, reduce um, uh, drag or maybe um, increase the... Uh, the Mach number they can achieve. Yeah. Probably like, a
1: higher speed, cru- higher cruising yeah. speed.
0: And then the second one's a turbo prop, which is cool. I'm, I'm still a big fan of turbo props.
1: Same. I think turboprops are really underrated.
0: One thing I don't like is they have a blended wing design, which we had a debate about earlier, which n- so every couple of years, there's always a rendering of blended wing design from some random aerospace company. And people need to stop doing that. The B2 is the only blended wing design that will ever exist. I'm sure there's other ones beside that, but I get really annoyed by one. The rendering just doesn't look very good. There's a lot of flaws in what they have rendered right yeah. there and it'll never come to fruition. They they tease me every single time with these efficient designs of how much space you can occupy in the fuselage and how efficient they are to fly. But it's just a tease every single time. It annoys me that people still bring up the blended wing design.
1: Yeah. The second um, Elon Musk releases some, uh, Concept drawing of SpaceX's new uh, you know, the extra new stratosphere uh, airplane yeah. that can get you to the other side of the world in like 30 minutes. Uh, and if it's a, a blended wing design, back out of Tesla.
0: <laughs> Just sell, sell, sell. Just back out. <laughs> and the reason i bring bring up this article is, uh, you know, the shifts to the manufacturing industry, uh, aerospace has seen a significant change in the materials that they're handling. So you know, they've shifted to Composites, um, you know, they're uh, rolling a lot of fuselages um, through tape and tow machines for oh, yeah. composites. A lot of wings, uh, a lot of substructure. Um, and don't get me wrong; they're still using a lot of traditional materials uh, in the uh, in the structure too. And you know, they're even experimenting with different um, techniques for the standard material. So Boeing still has their box uh, wing box design that is grown uh, additively using um, plasma. And titanium, which I found very fascinating, still. But the shift in, uh, if you're going to hydrogen, now you've got a, a tank that you need to store the hydrogen and be able to transport that throughout the aircraft. And I find that uh, a significant shift, and you know, this caustic material that you've got on the aircraft now. Right. So I find well, it I
1: mean, at the end of the day, you know, the, the reason why I wouldn't be concerned about you know a hydrogen plane is, um, at the end of the day, you're still converting. Uh, chemical energy into kinetic energy. Right. You know, yeah. and, and it's the same with batteries. Yeah. Batteries yeah. is a chemical storage of electricity, which then turns the electric electrical energy into kinetic energy. Agreed. So and bones- it's all the same thing. If you're converting ele- ener- any kind of energy to another kind of energy, there's a yeah. risk of an explosion. That is very true. I agree. So it, it, it'll be fine. No matter what, there's a chance you're going to die. <laughs> now, the one that I would be concerned if you came at me and was like, hey, you know, uh, airbus and boeing and lockheed martin they're developing a flywheel plane i would be all aboard because i love flywheel physics Sure. but at the same time uh storing energy in, in a kinetic means is really sketchy as cool as it is it's sure, incredibly sure. sketchy and there's less of a chance of an explosion but there's a lot more chance for something catastrophic and awful to happen um i flywheel energy is cool but i wouldn't get on that plane i wouldn't so we'll say <laughs> i wouldn't get on a flywheel plane plus it
0: wouldn't be able to turn they're projecting over the next 15 years so we'll see i'll keep an eye on what uh new materials that they're processing or if there are any changes to the manufacturing industry because of this and airbus has been experimenting with a lot of alternative fuel so they have like a single seater electric airplane like fully electric that flew yeah. like in europe around for some uh, for a hot minute, but uh, I do like their experimentation, and I hope. Yeah, uh, I don't, yeah. Hope they I don't see why not. That. Yeah, I don't see why there aren't electric planes. I, I, you I think at, there's... you look at spaceships,
1: like not spaceships, but like you know, the, the ISS. Right. are they shipping fuel to the
0: ISS? No, there's massive solar panels on it. It's entirely electric. <laughs> well, the drawback that they currently have is the storage of this, of um, de- uh, the energy. So batteries are very heavy. And right. That's, that's a drawback. And they are. So Boeing had a, uh, a fire issue with some of their lithium ion, ba- lithium ion batteries. They, they had some large batteries stored in their um, some of the aircraft and some right. of them were catching fire for a for a, a minute.
1: Sure. If you store energy, you're going to have a risk of combustion. Yeah, that, that's yeah. stored energy for you. Physically speaking, that's stored energy. But who says you need to store it? you know maybe the wing the size if you especially if you look at a huge like blended wing or sure. delta wing design you've got a massive surface area why not make it a solar panel oh well so, solar panels don't have that much uh, don't collect that much energy from the sun well then make why is there not <laughs> enough why is there no research and development to make them more efficient as tom brady will say do better everybody's everybody's focusing on like making batteries better sure and can we not focus, focus on uh,
0: photovoltaics that's that's your hot topic please <laughs> all right Steve, let's get into the next article you okay. got one on uh, tape and toe yeah you just mentioned um you know fiber tape toe
1: placement one yeah. of my favorite um manufacturing concepts uh it, that was the first wild manufacturing technique i learned about like you, you know, who says you have to make carbon fiber on like a carbon fiber loom right. or something you know why don't you just have this crazy multi-axis machine lay down a single strip of carbon fiber at a time while simultaneously, you know, gluing it together. Um, and, you know, if you look at videos of um, fiber tape and toe placement machines, they are essentially just massive multi-axis machines, but they look like, uh, it, it looks like a robot, you know, placing carbon fiber on like a really slow turning lathe. Sure. Um, And when you think about that, there's no reason why fiber tape and toe placement shouldn't be a, uh, an end of end of arm tooling on a robot. Nice. And you know who agrees with me? Oak Ridge National (laughs) Lab, because that's what they're (laughs) doing. They are, they have been experimenting with, you know, throwing fi- uh, fiber tape and toe placement technology onto robots cool. and having robots make stuff out of carbon composites and just composite materials in general and just laying down material like that and that, that's the article that I have and I in our this this week's tech trends weekly uh, email blast my uh, little my blurb well my, my 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 title for it will be Ornals add it again <laughs> Instead of add it again, yeah, it's yeah, add yeah. it again. Oh, yeah. you
0: know, they're... Steve. Okay. <laughs> That's pretty good, though. That's not bad. <laughs> Thanks, man. So, uh, yeah, I got two questions for you. One, can we go one on our robot? I really like the ability to change Edvarm tooling and do some random... Uh, uh, t- if... I mean, you do need some tooling and stuff, but, man, I can't imagine being well, able Well, you know, we do have the gripper right
1: now that yeah. we haven't been able to use because we're exiled from the office. Yep. But um, I tell you what, with uh, the testbed budget if there was end-of-arm tooling that if there was fiber tape toe placement technology in end-of-arm tooling in our price range that was compatible with the cobot that we have i would say to hell with (laughs) metrology and any sort of inspection device We're, we're adopting fiber tape toe placement right now for the test bed but no we seriously need metrology first
0: I do. Uh, in thinking about, um, the last episode we recorded, we talked about a robot on a automated ground vehicle that can, you know, yeah. a robotic arm. So th- that'd be really fascinating to have a, to free a uh, oh. tape and tow machine from its gantry yeah. style and just let the AGV kind of roam around with this arm articulating around and wrapping things yeah. up. That'd be cool.
1: Then, then you would accomplish what, uh, people have been wanting in this industry forever. You know, a small machine making a big part. Yeah, yeah. Then that would free that up. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. Wow. Submit a letter. Write a letter to Ornel. Fax him. Okay. I'm sure they have a fax machines still. Well,
1: we can just call Tom Kerfus, can't we? Yeah, he's over there now. Yeah,
0: that's true. Orlani. I was just on the episode with them. Actually, I should bring it up. We should pester them. We should pester them. Okay. I, I've got What's an article. Next? What do you got? Uh, automation and ammunition. Uh, I got an article from Breaking Defense. So, of course, both you and I are firearm enthusiasts. Uh, there's been a recent a recent uh, shortage on ammunition. Um, it's been kind of tedious, but luckily with the virus, I'm not really going to the range often, so it's not a huge issue for me. Yeah. Uh, but the article talks about um, the defense um, actually getting into automating their lines of ammunition production. Uh, so, for those of you who don't know, the U.S. government has a couple of sites where they Produce a majority of the ammunition that goes into defense. So Lake City is one uh, location right. where they produce two, two, three ammo, uh, or five, five, six, whatever brass, brass. Yeah, they produce. They're they're a manufacturing facility for themselves, right? So they're producing yeah. equipment or um, bullets and ammunition for um, army, navy, whatever, marines. Um, and in the article, they talk about. Uh, I'll I'll read the the lead in. So in April. 11, 2017, 55-year-old Lawrence Bass was drawing tet- tetrazine. Uh, it's a vital component of gunpowder primer. So the primer is what struck to release the rest of the uh, charge in the in the case. It's the spark plug. Right. Uh, yeah. He was at the Army's Lake City, uh, Missouri? What's MO? Missouri. Uh, amuni- Missouri. Ammunition plant using a handheld I spatula know, yeah. to scoop the explosive mixture as he and his colleagues had done for years. So he's using a kitchen tool to scrape up this explosive powder to put into uh, the machine to load. Um, unfortunately, at by this time, uh, it exploded, uh, and uh, killing bass and injuring four others and shutting down the Lake City for months. So there's a couple of takeaways there. One, why do you have someone scra- scraping up uh, this explosive material, uh, killing someone, and therefore shutting down this vital component to our uh, arms, uh, to our defense. Uh, so the government, you know, based on this, uh, to be fair, uh, our, our uh, Department of Defense and our military has really embraced um, advanced manufacturing. We see a lot of articles on uh, uh, additive, both the on, the on the aerospace defense side and on the ground, that they're embracing additive. They're embracing augmented reality in cases. Uh, but in this case, they talk about uh, bringing automation to protect the employees as they're producing this uh, these uh, these goods, uh, so yeah. they're bringing in, uh, robotic uh, automation and robotic arms to uh, pull humans away from these uh, hazardous conditions, which I think is great.
1: And I feel like that's a really easy application of you know robotics because if you think about it, it the production, the assembly right. of ammunition. Right. Is already like one of the most automated processes that almost anybody can think of. Yeah, I so, mean, anybody who does hand loading, anybody right, who's right. psychotic enough to do <laughs> hand loading, Ben, um, <laughs> knows that you know once you set up like your 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 hand loading rig, right. you're just like pulling a lever yeah. every time you want to make a cartridge. And as long as you set it up right and you get your measurements right and you trust your machine it's automated. All you're doing is pulling a lever That's and correct. it's making, and now you just get a robot to do that. Yep. But.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they go in the picture that they show in the video that they have there, they show you the variety of ammunition that they're handling. So, and it's interesting. The article also talks about they're solving that problem. So they're pulling, uh, humans away from these hazardous conditions. And, you know, potentially there's a lot of improvements to going into automated system. It's consistency. And if you shot mm-hmm. before consistency helps you become a better, uh, a better shooter uh, in general. So if you have more consistent ammo, you're able to get better groups. Right. It's all about precision. And they do touch on uh, the next generation of ammunition too. So one thing that the next gen um, rifle that uh, squad weapon is experimenting with is lightweight polymer casings. Uh, so instead of using a brass casing, they're using polymers as the casing uh, with their 6.8 ammo, which I find really interesting. I, I've researched a little bit of that uh, ammunition. I find it
1: lame. You don't like polymer case? uh no so um because in well let's go back in time a little bit let's go you back know, in you time. go back you go back to the cold war yes. when uh when it was cold uh, the cold war era when germany was still recovering from uh you know their big foul up known as uh, you know the world wars sure um uh you know they they were working with the space gun the heckler and Koch was developing the space gun the g11 The case, the the, you know, the rifle that uh, the salvo rifle that fires caseless ammunition, right? Um, and the huge problems with that was with caseless ammunition, you're not ejecting brass, right? And while that sounds good to somebody that doesn't understand the thermodynamics that's going on inside a uh, um, a device containing small explosions at 2,000 times a minute, um, you know, you're generating a lot of heat because. You need a lot of pressure to push a small piece of metal through a very tight barrel really fast right. and that pressure turns into heat and you need that heat to evacuate the system if you want the system to continue working sure um and it, it eventually failed because it didn't have that brass media right. to eject that heat quickly you know it doesn't matter how much air cooling or even liquid cooling you have nothing is as effective as at cooling a firearm as the the extractor that is the extractor and ejector literally pushing the hot brass out of the weapon right um then in high school when i was in high school uh the army and a few ammunition companies were toying with the idea of polymer casings. And I was really behind it back then. Um, and it didn't work then. What's <laughs> new that is gonna make it work now, um, 23 years later?
0: I you, you know, what, some, what is, how is, how is the polymer? <laughs> That's a good how question. How is the
1: polymer so, ejecting or pulling the heat from the yeah, system yeah. now? And how is the polymer not only containing that heat right. that is nor- would? would you know, without brass, that heat would stay in the gun yeah, and not yeah. be ejected with the brass. Um, the Palmer doesn't contain that heat as well as brass does. Sure. So, and that's the first problem. The second problem is Palmer simply isn't as strong as brass. Sure, brass is a soft metal, Right. but Palmer is, you know, I mean, unless you're getting, you know, if unless Magpul was on this call, call with us right now and telling us, you know, the, the beauties of like uh, uh glass impregnated Palmer,
0: right.
1: Glass filled nylon, stuff like that. Um, you know, I don't think plastic is simply strong enough for a, you know, what's the current, um, the current us military cartridge is the M855A1. Sure which goes into M4s and M16s and those the barrels of the M4s and M16s are proofed at 70,000 PSI. Right. And typically the the original the, fir- the the last cartridge that was used in those rifles was the M855 right. which has an average pressure around 52,000 PSI, so well below that 70,000 PSI proofing threshold. Sure. The current M855A1 is so over pressured. It's around 62 to 65,000 PSI. And they're they're experiencing a lot of problems with that pressure. And it's breaking, it's bursting barrels. The barrel life of, you know, the M16s and M4A1. The M16A4s and the M4A1s have dropped by a minimum of 50% in barrel life. How is polymer going to maintain uh, its integrity with those kind of pressures, and then you add on the compound the effect that Palmer simply isn't as good as wicking away heat as brass is. Are you done? Steve? I don't, I'm, I'm
0: sorry, <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, I don't, I don't, I have are no faith in it. I'm done. Okay, so this company they've got uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, seven different uh calibers that they produce for, and they are in testing with the U S government as a potential qualifier for the next gen squad rifle. And there's two benefits that, um, uh, uh or one major benefit that uh, they're using for their side. So the example that I've used right now is for the 45 caliber, uh, uh once in a while I shoot a 1911, uh, okay, I shoot, boomer. I, shoot <laughs> I shoot a, uh, uh, blazer ammo that comes in an aluminum casing. Yeah. So that aluminum casing is a third of the weight of the brass. So if you have yeah. eight rounds, I am that one magazine is a third of a weight than a, the parallel. I'm not reloading because it's uh, consumed. The aluminum is destroyed once you shoot it. But yeah. that's one benefit that the company has that's making the power rounds is they are half to a third of the weight of uh, their brass uh, counterpart. Yeah. So mm. an operator can carry twice as much at the same weight right so and and you can recycle it and you could recycle you it you can recycle brass <laughs> well, brass yeah i mean we can that, turn that, our you know plastic not... grocery bags into co- <laughs> ammunition casings so that's a plus. recycling casings not the the big benefit but the benefit is that they can achieve more rounds per operator or per per soldier and okay i, I recommend i'll send you a link or the company's called true velocity you should uh, check them yeah. out the way they have it structured so they looks like they have a steel case primer and the the case the uh the casing is pol a composite, and that right. which that portion of it is inside the chamber, and the steel and, the steel casing uh, that's with the primer is the one that's on the the bolt head.
1: And I'll give you that that's a big argument, and it's also a really old argument because that's that's coming from post World War II data, um, which they they determined um, after World War II they found out that uh, it, was, it was majority of the time. Um, the victor of a battle was the side that had the most rounds. Right. The right. side that had the most yeah. ammunition. So, yeah. I mean, the more the more rounds you put on a soldier, the, the better off that side is.
0: I think that's enough ammunition talk. Yeah. I want to yeah. go to the gun range.
1: We're going to get some people. We're going to get a slap on the wrist. What's the next up, Steve? Um, ooh, polycrystalline, polycrystalline diamond additive manufacturing. I like it. So polycrystalline diamond is uh, basically manufacturing grade diamond. We're not talking about, we're not talking about, um, you know, one rock that is flawless and, sure. you know, you can see through it and it has a uh, an indices of refraction of around 2.5 to 2.75. Um, no, we're not talking about that diamond. We're not okay. talking about jewelry store diamonds. We're talking about manufacturing grade diamonds, yep. which are small little, Diamond chips that they usually crust onto a uh, um, a cutting tool yep. or what have you um, to harden the cutting edge of a cutting tool. Um, anyway, this this uh, cutting tool company Paul, uh, I think I actually pronounced it right that time. Congratulations, uh, Maypal is um, making their cutting tool company. They're making cutting tools out of polycrystalline diamond, but they're initially growing. Informing these tools by additive means. That's cool. Which is really sick. Um, not only in that, you know, hey, we get to use the buzzword additive <laughs> in our manufacturing process, but and, and we're using uh, additive means to produce a subtractive tool. Yep. Uh, which is another cool thing. But um, the coolest part about it is by u- utilizing additive technology, they can. Optimize the internal geometry of the cutting tool to make it as light as possible, make it as strong as possible, and to make the cooling as efficient as possible. Because with additive um, in, in making a cutting tool using additive, you can more intricately design the uh, internal channels that mm-hmm. the coolant flows through or the cutting fluid um flows through to yep. maximize uh, its cooling effect onto the tool
0: that's fascinating because so it's, it's really fascinating the internal cooling is a really interesting topic to me because I've seen a bunch of research paper in the past since I joined AMT five years ago that they've tr- they're trying to figure out how to get uh, cutting fluid on two sides of it one as a lubrication source right at the cutting tip but also sure. as a cooling source yeah and uh, you know they've been struggling with say through the spindle coolant With you know, they can get it right at the tip, but you know, if you have different channels or if you're um, just trying to look at just for cooling, uh, running it through the backside of that cutting edge will be a fascinating approach, which will be very difficult to do with traditional means. That's really interesting. I'm I'm curious to see if they're able to expand that to other operations or other materials too.
1: Oh yeah, and I'm sure they you know the additive isn't the only sure, process sure. involved in making those cutting tools because I'm sure, you know, the the tool blank is initially grown through additive, and then I'm sure they grind it right, down right. and sharpen it using what? traditional subtractive means to form the tool. I like, think it's, it's it's still really cool.
0: I think it's fair to say that for ninety percent of things that are 3D printed, you have to do subsequent processing, which makes it into an additive right. manufacturing. There's always uh, more steps, unless you're doing some plastic parts, which could be print and use, but... As long, long as, as
1: that t- process is automated yeah. and, you know, c- coded and programmed in some way and it's not hand-fitted, I've got no beef with that.
0: Yep, yep. Uh, the next article I got is about cybersecurity for smart factories. Uh, Mappy and Deloitte conducted a study on security for smart factories um, recently. And there's a couple of key findings from there. Uh, one is, Twenty-five percent of those surveyed uh, have not done a cyber cyber risk assessment in the past year, um, and you know they bring up a major concept that uh, the NIST cyber framework uh, brings up also. Uh, so you know they break it down into detecting, isolating, and then blocking, which the NIST framework does a little bit different. Where they do uh, identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. I like the NIST framework a little bit more, but in the end, you know the, the report is fairly fascinating. And coupling that with the Verizon breach report, which I like to catch up on uh, yearly, which they publish, uh, which are both free to download, highly really recommend anyone that is uh, implementing any transformative technology in the uh, recent months or going forward. That you take a look at what does your cybersecurity framework look like for your factory. Um, and it's nothing to be afraid of, I don't think. I think just asking the questions of how do we want to handle identifying, protecting, any of these have five categories and understanding which areas do we want to focus in on. Um, unless you're a massive company or if you're solely doing top secret stuff for the government, you know, being able to do all five doesn't necessarily make sense. But understanding where your weaknesses are in the um, security uh, framework makes a lot of sense. And, you know, as we pull more data from manufacturing equipment, as we're storing data, as we're transmitting data, um, that is a key problem. Because one of the things that the report talks about is if you have uh, a a security breach in your factory, you know, the implications are you could, you know, obviously shut down your factory, you could lose some data if it's stuck in ransomware, if it's stolen, Uh, those are potential threats. But the bigger threat is that malicious software being transmitted from your factory to your partner companies. So mm. flowing to your suppliers, flowing to your customers, that is the underlying uh, threat that, w- that the study takes away is that yes, as a company, you are vulnerable, but as a parter, larger ecosystem of companies that are connected to each other, that is the bigger bigger concern is taking down a full network of companies as opposed to individual companies. Um, and I think that's a very valid risk as, as more companies are interconnected, as more companies are relying on APIs and automated calls and data being transferred automatically. And as more email traffic occurs, uh, unfortunately, still a lot of data is communicated through email, which I still uh, still annoys me. Stop sending me data in an email. You can send me a message, but don't <laughs> attach a file. That really irritates me, but that's a different issue. So I, well, I, I, I found this... Uh, um, uh, a very good read, um, and I don't think it's anything to be afraid of. You know, it's just if you just like at your house, right? How would you protect your house? You have physical security and you have cyber security for your computers and all your own equipment. Um, just extending that to your plant and services, and you know, paying for that accordingly through personnel and time and effort. I think makes a lot of sense. Steve, are you sec- are you concerned about any security at your house with your two machines that you have running?
1: Um. A little, a little, but not really. Yeah, Um, you know, we're on the brink of quantum computing, so there will be no such thing as uh, cybersecurity in the near future. Uh, No, I'm not. I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, (laughs) but uh, you know, it's whatever. the 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 best way, like you know, when it comes to like, I don't know. What's funny is you know, every now and then uh, I check my spam folder. Sure, probably on the weekends. You know, I check my spam folder, and I think last weekend I. uh, Saw a spam message in my Gmail inbox, my spam box rather. Right. That said, uh, hey, this is one of your passwords, <laughs> and no joke. In like the subject line, this is your password, wow. and it, no joke. Said in my sub, the subject line of this right. email, one of my old passwords from okay. like back in the day, and I was okay. like,
0: that's fine. Wow right?
1: <laughs> how did uh, how did they get that one? Yeah. And, you know, after reading like the email and it was making all these ridiculous demands and stuff like that, it was definitely some automated thing. And they were saying, oh yeah, we, uh, we, we uploaded a, uh, a key logger onto your machine. And it was like, dude, first off, while it is impressive and rather scary that you got one of my passwords, that was like one of my passwords from like 2007. I don't use that one anymore. (laughs) I, it was probably like from like my MySpace account or something like that. <laughs> Don't look up my MySpace. I have no idea what these hackers have done to it. But, uh, but that's a callback. You know, am I am I worried? Nah, no, no. If you need to delete something from the internet, the best way is to do it is to to saturate the internet with a bunch of BS. <laughs> you cover it up. You can't delete
0: it. Can't delete it. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, for the most part, I've got a lot of data. So I've been you know taking home home movies, you know, uh, home pictures. I've uh, a home ne- network-attached storage device. So I've got like 12 terabytes of data that I have yeah. on-premises. But I've got a plan. I've got it backed up to the network. And for the most part, uh, I've validated that anything there, if I lose it, it's more sentimental loss. I've lost pictures. Mm-hmm. No big deal. Yeah. There's nothing there that if I lose... And that's that's one thing. I have a, a two-drawer file cabinet next to me where I still have physical copies of things that I feel are important, like some of the tax returns, right. Uh, right. some other Car titles. Yeah, exactly. You know, stuff yeah. like that. It would be a safe somewhere back there that would have it, but I don't have it. No, yeah. does it, uh, not I'm really not concerned. I wouldn't be. See last article, last article, Let's make it great. um,
1: more news in Australia's, uh, uh, move to, uh, up their military force. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier that, uh, well, before we started recording that, uh, the scariest thing to you is that Australia is implementing AI uh, control of their military drones, they, which is
0: yeah quite frightening. They've but, been um, spending a lot of money on military and developing yeah. AI drones.
1: Well, here's some more military spending of theirs. Oh no! So the Australian government has now ordered the construction of a fleet of twelve regionally superior submarines known as attack class submarines for the royal australian navy and i put on order of uh, an order of 12 submarines for their navy that's a lot i want to say i want to say 12 military submarines like well (laughs) military is there any other use for a submarine other than military? (laughs) No, no. no. you can just say submarine and safely (laughs) know that it means, it means business. Um, But uh, anyway, they have an order for uh, 12 submarines that they need, that they uh, need filled by 2030, which originally I thought was way off in the future. And now I realize, and this is really sad, that that's only 10 years from now, but um, (laughs) Australia has an order for 10 or 12 submarines due in 2030. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they need to accomplish this task of building these 12 submarines, they need a massive five axis machine tool.
0: Nice. Now tell me how massive. Because we've got a five axis.
1: We've got a five axis. (laughs) And I think the work envelope is, uh, I don't know, like six by six by six inches. Yeah. You know, something like that. This gantry machine. That uh, Australia is having built by uh, by Starag, Swiss company Starag, uh, is 46 feet by 43 feet by 12 feet in size with a 36 foot uh, rotary table. (laughs) That seems big. And in this article, there's even a little rendering of you know it's it's this little picture in the article of the size of this machine. Right but uh, they actually have some like two scale human models (laughs) in the rendering as well. And I'm looking at the, uh, the spindle of this machine, the spindle's massive. It must be. And then, you know, at the end of the spindle, you have your, you know, you, your tool holder Mm -hmm. and the tool holder that they have mounted in this spindle. No joke is larger than the, the, the human model (laughs) standing on the turntable. That's amazing. It's insane how big this is. However, that being said, yep. as impressive as as this this uh massive gantry machine tool
0: is, I've seen bigger. Have you? You seen bigger? I've this seen is pretty big, Steve. 40, f- 45 I feet. I think
1: it was MT Forecast. Sure. Or um you know one of one of the uh one of the uh manufacturing industry events that uh, AMT puts on. One of the ones that we went to last year. Sure. Um we had an opportunity people who attended this event had the opportunity to um tour john force racing uh-huh. or some other massive manufacturing plant right and originally i was going to go on the uh, john force racing tour because race cars who doesn't want to see race cars i know i do <laughs> and uh then uh, you know my our, our good friend uh, doug Brannies, who was with royal at the time was like steve there's no way you're going to John force racing. Oh. I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, he's like, you can see, you know, you, they'll always let you in that, right. uh, that race shop. This is something you want to see. Oh. And I'm like, okay. I've never even heard of these people, but sure. let's go. This is a manufacturing plant. Okay. Like, you know, not a job shop. Sure. Not a, uh, a machine shop, not a factory, a plant as in they've got like, six different massive buildings that are each their own factory they're on a campus on this site and right. and yeah we go in there and then uh Doug Brannies is walking with me he's like look at that thing and i was like i was like what 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 is that is that like a crane I was like well yeah it's a crane but look at the floor too i was like we're looking at this massive like battleship sized machine tool that's inside a massive building sure, by the way sure. and I'm like, that's the biggest machine tool I've ever seen. There's like, you couldn't have that at an IMTS even. That's a huge, that's a huge machine tool. And like like, when I read off those stats earlier of this uh, Starag machine that Australia has, that's like 46 feet by 43 feet, you know, whatever. This thing, this thing was easily that size, if not way larger. And then Doug looks at me, he's like, yeah, that's one of eight that this facility has. (laughs)
0: That's a lot of machinery. That's big. It was
1: nice yeah that uh, I don't remember the name of that company they do some super secret stuff. I oh, sure. build like a lot of missile launchers and missile silos to go on warships sure you know so so Australia catch up.
0: I do like uh, I think smarter every day visited a um, a uh, company that produces uh, rockets for uh-huh. uh, um, for whoever uh, and they talked about their gantry machines also. but the key takeaway was the precision required for the gantry equipment. That was a really good video where they so they, they machine this um, a flat plate, uh, but then they end up rolling it afterwards to get the you know, shape of the uh, rocket fuselage. But they're holding like 2000 thickness tolerance over the length of this, you know, That's 20, nuts. 30 foot long plate. And after each pass, they have people walking or not walking, kneeling or crawling over the plate to pick up any uh, chips that may have come that <laughs> may be still on the plate. Because that'll scratch it and uh, make it out of tolerance. I just it's blew my mind by the size and uh, um, tolerance that yeah. they're trying to hold on this.
1: Unfortunately, I did not get to see any of those machines actually in action. No, you won't. Um, no, I take that back. One of the machines that we were walking on.
0: Okay, by the way
1: that we were walking, walking across. On, yeah, yeah, yeah. It the group that i the tour group that I'm on. we all of a sudden like you know our our tour guide stops us. And he's like, "All right, right now you're on the uh, the B-axis turntable of this gantry <laughs> machine, and it's actually turning at uh, at uh, one degree per minute." <laughs> and it's and I it was like, "Holy, we're we're standing!" It it wasn't like vibrating sure, sure. or like you know you you know you didn't feel like a buzz through your body at all. It was right. that like, it, it is amazing how accurate those are. But yeah, yeah. that was. Thank you, Doug brannies if, <laughs> if he he listens to these you know for insisting that i go on that tour because i will That's never great. forget that one
0: i can't recommend a factory tour as, as often even if you work in a factory it's always great to see how someone else oh, does yeah. stuff and how someone else uh what other people's equipment they probably
1: is. my favorite part of this job is good. touring people's good. facilities
0: so Steve, that was a good episode i think next week we'll maybe talk about less about ammunition but Maybe, maybe yeah, we'll not. Leave <laughs> Let's bring cars back into it. <laughs> we'll discuss that later. Uh, where can they find more info about us? They can find
1: more info about us at uh, amtnews.org. And if you want to subscribe to our weekly tech report, you can go to we- amtnews.org slash subscribe. I'll awesome. be the second link down.
0: Thanks, everyone. And a special thanks to the uh, Spark audience that are watching this. Um, and uh, thanks. Goodbye, everyone. Bye.